Okay, we are back in action. My name is Rich Ryan. This is the Reinforced Running Podcast. Today, we have an HHMC where my friend Josh Reed and I talk about how to peak for your goal race. So today, we get right into the goods and we talk about how to plan for a season and how to peak for multiple events in one year and also different workout strategies that you can use to make sure that you are hitting these races with optimal fitness. And and plus we get into uh, some bonus stuff about OCR stars and how to plan for that toward the end of the episode and also how to plan for your peaking for your mountain races as well. So lots of dense info here and I hope you will get a lot of great takeaways. And also here at Reinforced Running, we do offer a premium one-on-one coaching service. And I know if you listen to this podcast, you do have a passion for learning about fitness, but if you want to cut through the whole process of creating a cohesive plan, we can do that for you. So Josh and I, we currently have a few spots open for OCR athletes who do want to commit to finding their true potential. And if that is you, hit that link in the show notes to learn more and apply for these few spots. And also feel free to reach out to ask us questions directly about the coaching. And we look forward to hearing from you. Okay, cool. So we are on my friend, Josh Reed. Okay, okay. We are on Josh. Hello. Hey, brother. Uh, I can't help but notice this giant bear behind you. What's up with that? What are you doing right now? Some new decor here. I'm actually in Vermont taking in some foliage, not for the super secret Spartan event, just coincidental. We're just in Vermont. We just did a little working trip and then came up here to check out the leaves from changing. And it's great. And getting some actual elevation on my runs. Like you can't, I can't not get a thousand feet just like any direction I go. I'm like running, even on the roads, it's freaking hilly. Don't you love it? <laughs> it's great. It yeah. really is. Yeah, I'm having, a, I'm having a real nice time. The first run I did was just like straight up this mountain, like on the other side, like away from where the resort is where they have the actual race is a, another resort called Pico. Mm-hmm. And it was just like straight up and it was just so rocky and just so technical. I was going so slow. I couldn't help but think of you like just going down and the kind of rocks and roots that you navigate yourself through. I was like, man, I have some work to do to get on this. <laughs> Welcome to the Thunderdome. Yeah, man. But yeah, so we're out here enjoying it. Got some new decor. And so today we really want to kind of dive in because there are some races going on. And at this point of the season, if you have not already raced there, you're really kind of approaching a point where you're putting in some race specific type of work. So I wanted to talk about how to appropriately peak for the race season, what kind of workouts you should do within the peak of your training. And we'll touch a little bit about on how to taper and we really want to give you a good idea of when the next season kind of comes around, kind of how to navigate because this season obviously was unique that you kind of needed to do, to do like a short buildup and just try to peak as well as you could because who knew when we were going to race. But really to to set your season up properly, you need to kind of work backwards and figure out what what your goal races are going to be and then how to appropriately build up your fitness so that you are in the best possible shape to run your best possible time in your A races. So today I want to talk about, you know, how to peak for OCR events, how to peak for multiple events in kind of like a single season. And then we want to talk about like some, some of the different events you can peak for, which would be like an ultra and also a, a short course. So Josh, you just kind of shut your season down, right? You had one big, long last effort, right? True. So did you kind of go through this process recently? So I, the answer is, yeah. I mean, my year really kind of started out 
last December is when I started kicking things back up with you know, your typical aerobic work. Mm. Coming into the year, uh, like you said, I mean, we didn't really know when a race was going to happen. So I was kind of ready to pull the trigger, but I had already been focusing on fall because I really wanted to perform. Uh, I mean, West Virginia is at the end of August, so that's close to September. September was going to be Killington and uh, Lake Tahoe and as well as OCR uh, World Championships, right? Or NORAM or, or NORAM. No, World Championships. No, World. Were yeah, and that was in October sometime, right? Yeah. So my whole season was already prepped towards seeing my peak fitness in the in the later part of the summer and into the fall. And what happened is since these races all ended up being canceled, I kind of just teetered just below what I would call my peak fitness. And then it, it just so kind of perfectly happened out partially by chance that some races did come about. One of them was a half marathon that I ended up doing. That was in the, in the mountains that really just the, the week of, I made some minor adjustments to perform well there. And then, you know, we had discussed that 90 miler I was thinking of doing, which mm -hmm. I decided to scrub because two parts weren't there. One, I just know that I could do it. I could do it better with better preparation specifically for that. And mm -hmm. two, uh, just the motive, just the, the passion for that particular event wasn't there. And if you don't have the passion for it, it's like, okay, step back and do something that you're passionate for. Uh, that thing that you're passionate for, that I was passionate for, ended up being, uh, yeah, a pretty big event, uh, the Prezi Traverse, which is 19 miles, 8,500 feet of vert. And it ended up plopping in on 10 days, which is beautiful 10 days after that half marathon effort so yes i had a build up and partially that peak that i saw was by chance and but it, it it really did boil down that you had a season-long plan right and it just so happened that a couple of these things did kind of emerge as everyone's little kind of scrambling to figure out what to do with their fitness and try to salvage this year a little bit so when you back things up and you project out to what you where your goal races were it kind of did fall in line but just 100%. not maybe the capacity that we initially thought yeah yeah i mean in hindsight there are really just tiny changes that i would have made the, ultimately the reason that i did these races isn't because i was like ah i wasn't like ah screw it i'm just gonna i'm just gonna do it i, I thought i looked at everything and i said to myself oh this actually fits in really well mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> that's why i did it yeah and so when you are structuring a season right there's a couple different phases that you're typically going to see and that there usually are like your prep phase, your base phase, your build, and then what will kind of lead up into your peak. And then you kind of taper down into your race. So let's just kind of go through each one of those in terms of like what that kind of means. And like a prep phase to me, I mean, this is really just standard protocol and I don't necessarily run people through a prep phase or maybe not even do a, a prep phase on my own that I would call a prep phase but do you do anything in terms of like preparing to train or is it just a matter of changing your volume and intensity before you kind of really set something up structured yeah so in previous years i didn't do too much of this prep phase or, or you might call it a transition phase mm -hmm. um this year i'm most certainly going to uh, i'm going to hit it right on par. I'm going to be extremely structured this year because I've, I've been structured throughout previous years, but only to a certain degree. So it's like, okay, this year I'm going to kick it up a little bit of a notch in previous years. It ultimately just looked like downtime, minimizing fitness losses while maximizing absolute recovery. I mean, just lots of rest, getting all the sleep that you possibly can. And that's what ends up prepping you for all the volume you're about to load on. But 
yeah, this year, what transitionary phase is going to look like, what that prep phase is going to look like is more of general fitness. Mm. So it's going to be doing, working to be a little more well-rounded, staying fairly specific, but having a lot of variety. And so what that might look like is doing uh, a little more strength work because it's nice to build strength at the beginning of the year, because it's easy to hold on to the strength that you build now with, well, ultimately less strength work throughout the rest of the year. So build that up now and work on more general things, lots of lateral movement, more plyometrics, just kind of, kind of giving the running mechanics a little bit of a break. Uh, so that's what it would look like for me. What about for you? Yeah, I think that's a good way to kind of explain it and really doing things that you might not have time to do during your season, whether that is like running mechanic things, because I found that it's hard to really kind of add in any type of significant change to your running form while trying to layer in intensity and volume. It just, it needs to kind of be a couple steps back before you take some steps forward when it comes to your, your biomechanics. And it's always going to be a constant work in progress, but to really kind of make a big change, I think that is a good time. And for me, really what prep looks like would be having it be unstructured because my training is fairly structured, probably 11 months out of the year. And maybe my prep phase is something where I'm going to go to some group fitness classes or try some things that I haven't been doing or go to the rock climbing gym a little bit more or not have things down on paper that really dictates exactly what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. And for me, it's more of a mental break. And I was going to say, that sounds like some awesome mental reprieve. Yeah. And, and it really ends up being, being kind of forced because I do like to have things structured and I do like to feel like I'm always building towards something. So taking a month where it's like unstructured on purpose, structured, unstructured <laughs> is how I like to do my prep phase. But I mean, that's, that's really what it is. And I mean, it's not, you don't have to get too crazy about it, but it's just a matter of, of just getting ready, even if that's mentally or physically. And I like the idea of strength training or just doing whatever it is that you don't typically have time to do. And then and kind of building up into that base phase. Yeah. To and, make that a little more black and white. Well, I'm curious. So what's your, what's your typical run volume time wise that you would usually do towards more, well, running centric parts of the season. And what are you down to running wise now, as far as hours go? Now that like now, meaning or I should prep? say, go, I should say going into the prep season. Yeah. Now you're still working on some stuff, but into your prep season. Yeah. Into prep season. I mean, at the, my, the peak, which we're going to kind of talk about building to, I'd probably be somewhere in that 12, 12 hour range, 12, 13 hours of running, potentially 13, maybe on like a really high end, but on a prep, I don't know, five, four hours of, of running. Bingo. No, yeah, so, so, so now you got seven, eight, nine hours that you can allocate to other stuff, whether it's sleep or even if you added like a half hour of sleep a, day, a night, you still have five hours to just throw it. Ah, whatever feels good. Yeah. 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 It usually ends up just kind of being like doing work, <laughs> <laughs> doing podcast editing. <laughs> got to get it done um, sometime. Got to get it done sometime, man. So yeah, just doing stuff like that and you know, seeing, seeing what that all kind of feels like. But then as it, as it first kind of builds into the, the base phase, I mean, you're at that prep phase kind of now and, you know, a base phase could be anywhere from eight to 12 and, and that's generally going to be some easy mileage, right? Like it's a 12 weeks, eight to 12 weeks. Yes. Sorry. Um, and that's just, again, these are all standard practices. It's not a, a hard prescription in any direction, but we're just going to throw out generality. So you're, you're. Your base phase is going to be somewhere from that eight to 12 weeks where it might just be easy uh, mileage or doing some more gym work, whatever that need, whatever you need to layer a foundation on based on the goals that you do have. And then you're going to kind of build. And 
building can also be kind of vary in length depending on how your season is structured what your and what your goals are and just maybe even your uh, maturity as an athlete. So let's, let's kind of really dive into like what that building means and also the difference between what it is in terms of peaking from a physical standpoint and what your peak training is going to kind of look like. So Josh, when you build, what does that look like on your end? Or what does it look like when you're kind of building up the athletes that you're coaching? How like, how like long, like, what does that mean in terms of the, the workouts that you're, that you're putting into to them? And, and just generally, what does that mean to you as a coach? Let me see if I understood it correctly. You're talking about over the, the course of a year or over the course of, of seasons, how we kind of go through the process of building them up towards an event that they care a lot about, an A-race? Yes, exactly. Well, ultimately, I mean, the beauty about the, the base phase is pretty much no matter who you are, you're going to want to build up volume, even more so if you're looking to up your distance or for, uh, if it's for a longer event. And for individuals who are doing things that are more strength-based or perhaps uh, could do better in the realm of say muscular endurance, then there's going to be a lot more strength. There's ultimately going to be a lot of volume, but it's going to be quite low, uh, low effort volume. So if you're on a five zone scale, it might be Z1. So very low heart rate, lots of volume, turning over the legs, building those capillaries, just improving uh, and improving with like muscular endurance by doing uh, leg workouts. And then as you progress into the year, you end up picking up volume with say like lactate, threshold work and vo2 work and the interesting thing about like vo2 max work is it's actually it's pretty close to your to your lactate threshold according to the stuff that i've read from lydia in other words you could go and do work at your say 5k pace but you would only do it for a thousand meters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you had and you know maybe it takes you three minutes and then you take a three minute rest that kind of work and then as you progress and this is different than if you listen to a previous podcast i have put more speed work a little beforehand but I, I do trend more towards now having more of this lactate work. And then as the season moves on, you continue to sharpen and speed things up as you move towards your peak race. And then as you end up coming to your, your peak fitness, which is going to be a result of lots of volume and lots of intensity, you actualize this peak fitness through a taper. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, it's your so- race. So it sounds like you kind of, you'll progress the intensity, right? So you, so there's two different ways you can really kind of approach that. And it could be, you could start with speed and work up to endurance, or you can start with endurance and sharpen down into speed. So it sounds like kind of what you were talking about was more sharpening into that speed so that the intensity ends up being at its highest when it comes to the peak training, as opposed to the, like, I guess the intensity would be the highest on either end, but the, the intensity that you would be working at closer to your, to your race would be something on the, on the faster end of things. Mm-hmm. And the shorter the race, the faster that actual speed work will be. If someone's doing an ultra event, they only need to go so fast and ultimately they get a lot of their speed, uh, their quote unquote speed work through doing like strides at the end of a lot of their runs, which is going to improve their running economy. Because the longer the event is, the less reliant uh, you become on being able to tolerate, say, high levels of lactate. So it's more because mm-hmm. of running economy. But but yeah, generally speaking, it's better to sharpen into faster work. Absolutely. And that ends up being something when you start to get into that that peak, the, at, right at the highest level of the work that you're going to be doing. So you're going to come to a point when you're in this building phase where you're going to be consistently either adding volume and and sometimes adding intensity at the exact same time, or your intensity is going to come up as when you reach your peak mileage. So there is going to be some sort of point where you're going to get to 
the highest amount of work that you're going to be doing with a combination of speed and of volume. And that would be like kind of your peak weeks. And really, we kind of build these up into about two weeks out, two and a half to three weeks out of your, your goal races, really where you should be doing the most work that you would be doing in terms of the volume and intensity and kind of like the actual toll that it's going to take on your body. And, and when you do this and you work into a taper, you get what they would call a super compensation where your fitness will really see a big influx in with rest and building and building and building is going to load on that fatigue. And then when you get to that point where really is almost where you kind of like run out of time or where your body is physically at its, at its highest fatigue level is then when you're going to want to kind of drop things back down. And that is something that takes a little bit of, not a little bit, quite a bit of planning when you're looking at your season, right? Because if you really want to maximize the amount of training that you're going to get in, you have to know which races you're going to want to hit the hardest. It's like you can't do, you can't get to the peak of your training in a two, in two, in two weeks, in three weeks. Like you need to really kind of figure out what you want to do, where you want to hit it. So when you're looking at the scope of the the season, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to, to figure out where you want to go and how you want to structure things because there isn't a, as an adult runner and especially as an obstacle course racer, there's not like a set season, like at the collegiate level or even like the a typical like road running circuit, it would be, there's a race in the fall, there's a race in the spring, we're going to peak two times a year. But in obstacle course racing, like you had mentioned, like even for your own season, there was like three or four races that you could consider almost a races, right? Which makes it really difficult to figure out like when and how to manage that peak training modality or peak training weeks that to get you to that super compensation stage and then to hit that training at the right time. So there's a couple different things you need to figure out with this is, is really figuring out like what the goal, what, what your goals are and having some sort of goal evaluation and really sitting down and figuring out what that is. And also which races you're going to choose to actually taper for and which ones you're going to kind of train through. So we want to work through both of those things and really what, what that means to, legitimately peak for a race and also what it means to kind of train train through a race um but first let's just talk about the goals a little bit so josh when you're kind of going through that for yourself or your athletes like well, what how do you figure out which race you're going to take the most serious or which one you're going to really aim to get your best performance out of well i gotta you know definitely typically they typically the athletes come to me they say hey i want to be good for this race this is the race i care about it's like okay so that's your and we discuss like what's an a race b race c race it's like okay the hierarchy of importance and understand if that's the race that you want to do the best at just know that if you have another race that's really close to that we're not going to peak you for that and you mm. also shouldn't expect to have a peak performance at that particular race and you might even i might even tell you to not go all out and to, which is very difficult to do and i don't always trust them to take my word for it but use it as a bit of a test run to to kind of sharpen things up the skills of transitions and all of these things but but yeah ultimately it's just what the passion what race calls out to you the most focus on that one and make that your, your primary race and maybe if there's if you have a couple races that you really care about and there's enough room in between them say 2 months 3 months then we can have the probability of having peak performances for both of these races. Yeah. And I kind of want to talk about how you can actually structure a plan so that you can do two or three races within like a, a quarter, you know, within a three month range, because really when you look at it, like that's not that much time to 
have a proper taper and then to have a rebuild. But there is some ways you can kind of work around that so you can continue to, to make Im- improvement without needing to kind of scrap everything and start all over from that prep phase again. And you did mention something that is important to note that when you're going into a race that's not your A race, like it doesn't mean that like you're not, you don't, you're going to race poorly. It just means that you're going to race better later in the year. And you must understand that there's going to be physical factors from the training that will kind of hold you back. So even if you do go, even if you do kind of like let the reins off and be like, Hey, go after this as hard as you can go out with the leaders, go out with whatever you want to do. You're probably not. And you probably shouldn't be at your best race of the year. It shouldn't be in the middle of the year, right? Like there shouldn't be a taper. It should be kind of built in to your training so that it works in tandem and you get the benefits of that race in terms of adaptation, but without the need to really kind of taper, taper down a ton and to recover a bunch after. So, and that's when people, what they would call like training through a race. And you'll hear that a lot in terms of the, the pros will say it or. Oh, it's a great excuse. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great excuse, but oftentimes it's true. I mean, it is like, oh, I didn't race well, but you know, I'm just, I'm just training through this one. They're like, oh, on the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's just really early in the season. I'm just training through this one. So, but that really is uh, the case for a lot of times because you can't have six A races throughout the year because you can only do the entire build and, and taper a few times to get the, the proper amount of adaptation. I mean, you could do it a bunch of times, but you'll never get to that peak of your training and your building where you'll get that maximum fitness if you continue to taper yourself down. And this is a trap, especially in the obstacle course race scene, because there's not, it doesn't have the structure that a, a marathon season might have or that a collegiate system might have where it's like, there's going to be a championship in May and then there's a championship in October. I wish that'd be sweet, right? Like if, if Spartan was like short course championship is in May, long course is in September. Like that'd be perfect. Why don't they do that? They just don't, they, they don't know how to structure a sport, but that would be nice, but that's not necessarily the case. So they need to to pump out entertainment at least 10 months out of the year. All year. Yeah. Every race is huge. You got to make, make sure you you make it happen. So what, what what I would look like in terms of having a race that you're going to train through and typically when you're going to do a a proper taper and and we're going to touch on the taper just because it is part of the, the peaking process, but uh, like a, a full on taper could be anywhere from, you know, 10 days to, to 21 days. Like it could be a full long taper, depending on the size of your build and the distance of your race. But in this case, you don't really want to taper at all. Maybe two days, you know, if there's a race that you're, that you're not going to necessarily taper for, what would, what would you do if you were training through a race or if you had athletes coming through? Like, because, you know, there is a point where you want people to race well for, in terms of confidence and you want them to see some, some payoff, mm-hmm. but without sacrificing the season long goal that, that ultimately they came to you for it was like, Hey, I want to race well at Noram, but the, the savage race isn't going to be conducive with that. It's not, it might not serve you, but you should still do it. You know? So how do you kind of lead people into that? Or like, what, what would you do? Well, what's really nice is uh, if you're going through, say, say you put athletes through a three or a four week cycle where every third week or perhaps every fourth week, they have a down week where their, where their volume is reduced from anywhere from like 40 uh, or, or sorry, reduced down to anywhere from 60 to 40%. What's really mm-hmm. nice is you can, if you have the time to do so 
and you know far enough in advance, you can schedule the program around these races where perhaps, and you know, you might see people do this with a time trial. When you have uh, an athlete time trialing, you can treat these races like time trials where it's, you have them build up for say three weeks, you give them a down week to recover without really losing any fitness because they're still, they're still moving. And then on the week back, when they are freshest going to that next three week block, you put them through a time trial. Just kick things off, start things off, stand with races. Because you do want to get that feedback. Like you want to see where their fitness currently is. So you want to get the feedback of a, an, some sort of effort that's going to be as, as hard as they can go at one time. So I love that idea. Like if you can really kind of structure out things where it's like, if you can land a race or a time trial or a baseline test every four weeks or so, that's ideal. But uh, so I do like that being able to kind of work things around. And sometimes that just, that might not just be the case if people are racing really often. If it's like every two weeks, people are trying to do races for, you know, say they want to strike in, in, you know, the Northeast in particular, where it's nice to race only a couple of weeks out of the year. So you just try to layer in a bunch of races. Mm-hmm. I think an appropriate way to kind of go about that is just to have like, yeah, like those taper type of week workouts, but without dropping the volume too much and just maybe pulling back on the intensity side, but dropping the volume of the intensity, having workouts, what I would call a bridge workout, where it's just kind of making sure that you're turning the legs over and it's not meant to really kind of build on anything, but really to keep some intensity without overloading too much fatigue. So Usually what this looks like on my end would be something like two by mile at threshold or six to eight, four hundreds at like 10 K pace with 400 rest in between something that is going to be a little bit taxing. You need to kind of gear up for it a little bit, but it's just short so you can just mentally get through it. So I would kind of layer, layer those in on like a Tuesday or Wednesday before, and even after the race, maybe after the race would be on like a Wednesday. So they got a couple of days to kind of recover through, but they're still getting a little bit of stimulus there. And, uh, without, without putting them at risk of over like under recovering and putting them at Mm -hmm. risk of injury, because that's also something that's going to happen. Because even if you're are, even if you are fatigued and you're not able to, to tap in and go as hard as you possibly can during a race, you're still probably going to go harder during that race than you would on a Saturday workout, just because that's just the nature of the competition. So having Mm -hmm. something, giving them a little bit more time, giving yourself a little bit more time, to kind of work in these bridge workouts, like on that Wednesday or Thursday even, would probably be a good idea. There's an interesting tactic that I had just read up on uh, from Joe Friel, and he what he liked to do with his athletes, whether they were uh, prepping for a marathon or if they were prepping for an Ironman. So there's some good uh, discrepancy in the distances there. Uh, but what he liked to do was six days out, he would have them go out for an easy run, have them do six times 90 seconds mm. at threshold with uh, three minutes easy in between. Five days out, five of those. Four days out, four of those. Three days out, three of those. Two days out, total rest, one day out, one of those. So the day prior, 90 seconds at threshold effort. Again, just to produce a tiny bit of metabolites, let those enzymes know we still want you there, and to turn those legs over. But it's just a pinch. It's just a little bit. He does it the entire week? Does it the entire week? But here's what's interesting. Right. But here, I mean, I was surprised too. But he's also working with people at a high level of of fitness. I mean, you know, if if your mom got off the couch and tried to do that, she'd be sore for two weeks, you know, nothing against your mom. But uh, but yeah, I mean, six times 90 seconds, that's that's nine minutes, you know? Uh, So that is is a decent amount. And if you're going to do that day after day. Anyways, just want to throw that out there. At threshold, at threshold, though, really, it's not. Like nine minutes at threshold pace is pretty is pretty inconsequential with that rest in between. So that's not, that's, that is a pretty interesting approach there. And Joel free, Joel Friel. Joel, Joel. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. Joel. Is it Joel? Or, I, I think, think it's Joel. Joel. Joel, Joel Friel. That's a tough one to pronounce. 
Joe Friel. Friale. Friale. Yeah, maybe that's probably what it was. Friale. He probably had some like longer Italian name to probably scratch to Ellis Island be like, no, you're Friel now. <laughs> he is also a tri- more on the triathlon end, right? So he this might be switching domain. Was it switching domains that he was talking about? Like on the bike one day, on the running the other day, or you mentioned it was for marathon training as well. I I probably could have read a little bit deeper into it. It was a, it was a long article, but I saw the words triathlon and marathon within the same paragraph, and he was talking about doing that for just like some last intensity. Yeah, that that's cool. I think that that's an interesting approach. I've never done it that way just because it isn't in the scope of what I would typically do for a week. And and usually when it's going to be building into like a race week or like a taper, I want to keep the frequency pretty similar and just kind of reduce the intensity, but. That is a cool approach. Maybe that would be wor- worth a shot because just going out and getting a little bit in at a time every every day would be would be a pretty cool way to approach things. Yeah, because when it comes to uh, a taper, even though we're not like 100% there yet, but yeah, it comes down to it's like reduce your volume but maintain intensity. Mm-hmm. Maintain intensity. Yeah, you can't drop everything out. You can't drop everything flat. Like the, the, you just won't you just won't feel good. Like you may get over recovered at that point and maybe start losing a little bit of fitness. Like and really, what we're talking about, we're nitpicking quite a bit like if you executed everything throughout your entire training and then you you your fitness is going to be higher than it was when you started like you'll still race fairly well but not you you probably won't race as optimal as possible and that's really what we're talking about just like peak performance like you'll still probably race well even if you take like the last week like off but to do as well as you possibly can, you want to really kind of balance that fatigue with that recovery and that, and doing something that, that like a little bit of that threshold at a time would be a really interesting tactic. I like it. So, so that's taper talk. We're, we're talking about multiple races within a year. Cause that's the obstacle course race dilemma. That's the obstacle course race dilemma. And that's a perfect segue. Thank you. That has uh, multiple races, like say like in the same like quarter, like say like in the same like 12 weeks or so. And I kind of had written out this, example that would happen for some of the athletes that I would coach, which would be, which would seem like it has a lot of time in between these two races, but really when you kind of boil things down, it's, it's, it's still fairly short. So if, if you're in the Northeast, say like Palmerton's one of the biggest races that you have, right? It's in July and you want to build up to that and that make that to be an A race and have like a proper taper and to go after it. It's a mountain series race. It's one of the biggest regional races. You know, it's, it's, a lot of times it is somebody's a race and say you also want to take your competition to the next level this, that particular year. And you want to go out to Tahoe and you've made that commitment. You're going to, you're going to put that time in, you're going to make the travel and you're going to go. So that race is in September. Palmerton is in July. So it really doesn't sound like they're that close together, but when you start to bring your volume all the way down to do a proper taper, which, you know, you're going to cut your, your volume, 30, 40, 50%, depending on how you respond two or three weeks ahead of time, your fitness is, is, and then after, if you hit that race, well, you're going to need some time to recover after. So really that, that gives you about 11 weeks after your, your race from Palmerton to Tahoe. So once you have a gone through your, your proper taper, then you're going to based on like the, the traditional model, you want to go back into your base phase and, and say you use like four weeks of that base phase, just to kind of get things back up to where they were even before you started to taper. Then you're really only left with about seven weeks or so. And then two of those would also be a taper, right? So like you're only talking about four or five weeks to really build in a proper race specific workouts, which, you know, isn't, isn't terrible, but like the more time typically better 
right? Totally. Especially for a race like Tahoe, where there's going to be a lot of different elements, where it's going to be a longer thing. You want to make sure you're getting on some hills. You want to get some speed. You want to get some like heavy bucket carry stuff going. And when it's only like four or five weeks, there's not much room for error. And and if you have a trip or something happens, if you get sick, there there's not a lot of of ways to kind of build onto it. So it, it really makes things tighter than it might seem to have when you have a bunch of these races in the same quarter. So there's this concept that is called like reverse periodization, which is, which is more popular in the, the triathlon world because they're also kind of race crazy, the try the try people. And with that, what you would, with the reverse periodization, what you would do instead of building just base work, you would continue to add intensity and keep your miles low. So you put the intensity in there and then you'd have essentially those, what did I say? Like 11 weeks still to kind of work in some more race specific intensity. And in this case, I would probably do something that would be more bottom up where I would start with the faster things, like kind of how you mentioned before, where you kind of sharpen down for this, I'd probably start with shorter things like 300s and 400s just to kind of keep some of that intensity alive. And then maybe after three or four weeks, start to layer on the, the aerobic work. And that is going to kind of how you're going to get to your peak your peak weeks is through the use of more volume. And you're going to keep that present throughout the whole time, just so that you are still able to get that race specific type of feedback without needing to take like a bunch of time down to just focus on, on, on volume in general. I agree with that because at this point you've probably hopefully put in a minimum of four, five, maybe even six months of work leading into Palmerton. And there's no reason that you should drop intensity because you took like a week of downtime right there. A week mm-hmm. is not a very long amount of time. You might lose a tiny bit of top end, but ultimately what it shows is uh, aerobic and VO2 scores don't drop for, uh, I think it was like 10 to 14 days is where you start to see real drops. Yeah, right. So being able to have that in, like that base of training, if you do it properly that time leading into Palmerton, that race in July, it will be there when you need to start layering on that aerobic aerobic volume after you kind of sprinkled in some of that intensity. So that is a real good way to kind of keep speed present throughout and is going to give you the best chance of really racing well for that second race. And where people really get in trouble is if they want to do a race that's in like June, early June or, or whatever, if they want to peak for, I don't know, what is, what is it? Tuxedo? <laughs> if, if you want to peak for tuxedo, but that's where like having an A race, like too many A races is really going to hinder because then you don't have that. You might not have that time to build up until build properly, or then you're really not giving yourself the proper amount of aerobic work that we do need in this sport. And really most distance running sports, like you're going to need that aerobic training. And if you're racing too often, and even if you're doing training through things, I don't know, it just doesn't seem like it seems like it's a way to kind of get yourself in trouble. So it is just one way to kind of keep things in a nice spot in terms of the intensity there. And then, so when we're talking about specific races, this is kind of something that I wanted to touch on and, and being able to give, give some people some action in terms of what they would do for their races, like what some of these peak workouts might look like. And just kind of like what we do when we're getting into some of our, our race specific things, what, what are some of your kind of go-to things in, in practice when it looks like you're going after the beast distance? So 
actually, what did you just do? Like, what were you kind of doing when you got involved with this, this past attempt that, what was it called? The four hour race that you just did? So that was actually really cool, right? That was put on by Solomon. It was Mm -hmm. the golden segment and they had segments all around the world. And uh, that this was the, one of the five courses they chose in uh, the United States. And it was the presidential traverse in New Hampshire up in the white mountains. Mm. So, yeah. So what, what kind of workouts would you do for a race like that? Cause I mean, that would be essentially something that would be prepared for like the, a beast time domain. What would you need to see from yourself or from the athletes that you coach to make your, to give confidence that you're going to race well during those peak training blocks? So what's beautiful is uh, about a, ra- a race like that, or a, I should say, you know, it's an FKT, a, a course like that, or say something like Killington or something like New Jersey, is it doesn't take a whole lot of running economy, which kind of simplifies and evens the field if you have, like, say, some pure marathon and, and pure marathoners in there. So what I really want to see is downhill competence and mm. up and uphill strength. So it really comes down to technical skill and leg turnover for the downhills, legs that can take a beating. But what's also going to complement the legs taking a beating and getting you to the top of that mountain soon is going to be muscular endurance. And what that usually looks like is going to be like either threshold or slightly sub threshold, uh, steep incline, heavy muscular work, localized, more more acute lactate buildup in the legs. Whereas if you're running flat and you have faster turnover, you're probably going to build a little more global acidity and you're going to feel more of that total bonk, burn, uh, bonk's the wrong term, but burn, yeah, of like running, you know, the end of a 5K, last loop of a 5K. Right. So. Where it's like feeling like in like, I get it in like my traps somehow. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> like my legs feel great, but my traps feel fucked up. <laughs> so I, I love that. And I love that you brought the downhill competence piece because, you know, you're an extraordinary example of how that kind of evens the field. And someone like a Johnny Luna Lima, who has been able to take his downhill running ability to the next level where he might not climb with the best. He climbs well, but the downhill is, is a separator with that. So what does that look like in, in, a structured plan to get some more of this downhill competence in place because for a race like a Killington or like a Tahoe, there's going to be quite a bit of descending. So what does that look like for a, a like hard workout or a training? Like where does that fit into like a training block? Well, the nice thing is that if you just like put someone out in the mountains for a long period of time, for example, if I have an athlete that's focusing on say a mountain ultra, I mean, they're going to end up spending a lot of times in the mountains. And I will say, you know, today you're going to go out for three, four hours and I want you to try and get four to 5,000 feet of vert. And so the fact is they're going up and down, they're mm-hmm. going up and down and they're going to, they might, I usually have them do it fartlek style so they can have fun. It's like, Oh, this mountain calls to me. I'm going to run fast here for five minutes. And uh, I'll usually put a note in there. Typically as it gets a little later in the season, closer to that effort, I'll start to beat them up a little bit more and say, you know, take, take the last downhill of the day at a comfortable but exciting speed or as fast as you can in a controlled manner. So that would be something that's a little more, there's a little more, uh, it's a little more liberal. You have a little more freedom out there. Something a little more direct for someone that maybe is not out in the mountains. It might look like, okay, straight up, go find a 5% grade and run down it. Not as fast as you can sprint wise, but with the fastest leg turnover that you possibly can. And that'll get you pretty far with having like, well, the necessary leg turnover, but there really is no substitute for the technical skill. If it's a technical course, there really isn't. And so what kind of sounds like to me is that building that competence in terms of volume and making sure that they are just handling enough downhills that might be specific to the terrain. And, you know, we're all going to be hamstrung based off of the geography where we live, uh, especially for a race like 
Tahoe, or if you don't live like in that area or even Killington, right? Like it's hard to kind of get on something like technical or nasty like that, but also just making sure you're doing that under fatigue. So I like that what you said about when you get to the later stages, this last descent, like still handle it in, in terms of going hard, but like you're going to be tired and that's going to be really be a, a game changer in that. So really it sounds like just making sure you're getting an appropriate amount of volume for downhill and just practicing going down. Yep, get your ten thousand hours in. Just like playing an instrument, doing anything, you gotta you gotta put the pedal down to the specific yeah to the specific pedal. And there's there's just a matter of because there are skills that you can gain just by the like a visualization or just kind of practicing the pieces and then being able to kind of put it together. But when it, in terms of going downhill, there's definitely just muscle rewiring and being able to do like the foot eye coordination that you do need to have and that you that will kind of go away <laughs> if you don't aren't particularly practicing often. So, yeah, get out on those on some hills and, and run down on the long runs. I think that's a really cool way to approach that. <laughs> yeah, definitely do that. So, dude, let's uh, uh, talk about moving in because OCR Stars is coming up. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so far, how many weeks are we out from that, from the first event, from a mile event? Three. We're three weeks out from that. Right. And so that means we're seven, seven, eight weeks out, seven weeks out from the final event because there's one each weekend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, this is an, uh, a whole different, like, problem when it comes to training for this, right? Because it's a f- month-long competition where there's going to be – you're going to be hitting different – work capacities for lack of better term over the course of those four weeks. So it's really hard to, to, to taper things out. And really it was kind of a short build in the first place, right? Trying to figure out how to uh, navigate that. And at least just giving us some leeway on terms of the running where we know mm-hmm. that it's going to be a mile. The, the longer run I'm guessing is going to be, you know, a 15 K or something like that. So we have an idea of what those are looking like and kind of an idea of what the, the, the strength things are looking like as well, but it does pose a whole different, whole different obstacle when it comes to training for something like this yeah so it's like i think we should talk about how to really prepare for that in terms of well peaking because even though we said it's great to have several months leading into a peak ultimately a peak is just going to be the greatest realization of your fitness based on where you are at so even though your peak isn't going to be extraordinary seven weeks from now compared to what it could be, you know, six months from now, you can, we can set you up to have the best performance at this particular event. As long as you do the right amount of work going into it and give yourself the right amount of rest, like in the days prior to that event. So I'm wondering, Rich, it's like, what, what would you feel comfortable with? What do you think is like the bare minimum? Where do you hope people are at right now? who are prepping for this event? How long have they been doing work and what might that work look like? Yeah, it's a great question. And since we've known there was a mile, it's only been about two or three weeks and that's going to give us enough time, maybe five weeks or so to really kind of prepare for, for something like this. So at this point, like you should have already put in that necessary, necessary base work and your volume should have already been okay. And like, there's no, like the volume at this point is what you're kind of having to deal with. And you're going to have to kind of turn things and focus more on intensity at this point. And really kind of focusing on working at that mile or that sub mile pace to get that anaerobic power down so that you're not, so that you're able to feel what it, what it feels like and able to produce more power while working in that anaerobic system. I mean, a mile is too long to work in the anaerobic system for the duration, but being able to get as much out of 
that limited time that you have there is, is really where you're going to kind of want to focus. So I'd like to see people working in the kind of quarters at this point, working 400s, working 200s at mile pace or sub mile pace for that. And, and just making sure that you're doing it with the appropriate amount of uh, volume to handle that type of intensity. So it could be even something as short as four by 400 at mile pace, six by 400 at mile pace. I wouldn't go any further than eight to 12 because being able to run 12 quarters at mile pace just seems like overkill. Like we're not running that, that March and it needs to be pretty specific in, in, in those terms. So a workout like four by 400 with 400 jog in between, and then like four by 200 at sub mile pace with 200 between is a really good way to kind of get things turned over. And on the other aspect, since you do need to still prepare for a longer race that would be coming in about six or seven weeks, uh, six weeks from now and two weeks after your uh, mile attempt, I would then work in a, a secondary workout, which would be more of your aerobic support. So that would be your, or your endurance support, I guess I would say for mm-hmm. it. And that would be more in that threshold range mm-hmm. and get that long run in, get that long run in and make sure you're getting some of those. Th- yeah, definitely get a long run in. It doesn't need to be as long. I would say if you were working up into like 13, 14, 15 mile range for your longest runs, kind of stay within that like 11 to 13 mile range because the intensity of what these work guys are going to be doing, it's going to be, it might be harder to bounce back from and harder to recover from a longer run. We want to make sure you're able to turn it over when it's time to turn it over for these faster workouts. So a threshold workout later in the week would be uh, helpful. So something, you know, just like three by mile at 15 K pace, or even if you want to go a little bit short, a little bit faster than that, be like five by 1200s at like 10 K pace or something like that, just to kind of really work in that aerobic support, that endurance support phase to kind of make sure you're, you're covering your bases and you're still maintaining that endurance that you've built during that base phase. Um, when preparing for the mile. So that's kind of what a a typical work week would look like on the running end to prepare for this type of mile. Word. And I would, I would build up to getting, getting people to run 800s, I think 800s at a mile pace. There's some fun things you can do for mile workouts to really kind of break it apart. I've seen workouts where it's like 800 as fast as you can, like one minute recovery, maybe not as fast as you can at like mile pace, 800 at like, at like mile pace, like, 30 second recovery and then a 400 and then 30 second recovery and then two 200s. So essentially mm-hmm. you're running a mile at that, at your goal pace, but you're getting a little bit of those breaks in between. So working up to a workout like that, or just straightforward, just do like three by 800, right. With, with 800 recovery in between, it doesn't have to be crazy. Just kind of spending time at that pace and, and building volume on top of the intensity, starting short, 300s, 400s, working 600s, then up to like 800s, I'd say. Dude, I 100% agree. Yeah, you don't need a crap load of volume in one particular uh, domain, at least at a time right now, because the the beautiful thing uh, about the event coming up with OCR Stars is that it's, it's based on high intensity. And although we advocate not spending too much time at high intensity, especially if you are already a stressed out person with a lot on your plate, the studies show that regardless of if, I mean, especially if you are less trained, a more trained individual won't get as many results as the newbie getting those newbie gains, but four to six weeks of high intensity interval training will give you crazy awesome results. It's not sustainable. You should not do that for, you know, 12 months out of the year, but this is a point in time where even if you don't have that much of an aerobic base, 
you should be focusing on the intensity that's more specific to the event coming up. So like Rich was saying to do, to do like three by 800, say one day, that's an awesome amount of work. Cause you're probably going to be doing what a maximum for most of you of maybe 10 minutes at actual intensity. Yeah. And then the next day you can focus on something with the dumbbells and do some intensity in that domain. And I think that over the next few weeks, that's going to end up giving you your absolute best result for being really prepared, like physically, mentally, you're going to, you're going to be, you're gonna be ready for that shit show. I agree. And I think that the, if you're putting in intensities with the different domains, like you could do and having one running one, that's more secondary and having a, a strength one. That's a secondary one as well. You can probably have like up to four quality sessions, which I would never recommend for running, but for something like this, where it's moving into different domains. And if you're not just pounding the same thing over and over, like if you just do, you know, like pull-ups and toes to bar, like high intensity workout, like that's going to be too much. But so if you're switching things back and forth between the different elements that are going to be there, you can add in a little bit more intensity. If you're being thoughtful about it, where one is going to be your primary, one is going to be your secondary for both the running and for the gym workouts, you're going to be able to put in a little bit more intensity that well, that way. And with that, you got, you must understand that it's going to take your volume back a little bit. So if you're, if you're just going to try to add in these two intensity pieces in the gym and still try to run as much as you were running, you're just not going to recover well enough with this short of a block to build up to. Like you would need to really spend years to build up that type of resilience when it comes to that much intensity over the course of like a training block, even just like a micro cycle of a week, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're going to want to be, want to be mindful to pull back the running volume as the intensity goes up into the other aspects. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's super important to know, pick up the intensity, but definitely moderate that volume. And and this is where, where I feel like people can kind of get in trouble with the things that we want to do often for obstacle course racing, like the, the, the transitional work or the work that compromise running, I believe is the term where it's, you're doing hard work and then you're doing burpees or something in between you're getting back up and you're doing, doing more hard work. So you can be intentional about the compromise running and, and have it be like fit the type of intensity that you need to fit based on the, the period of training that you're in. But with something like that, if it's just doing like four hundreds and then doing 50 air squats and doing four hundreds, like that's pretty intense. And like you said, you can only re- you get good benefit from that high intensity workout, but only for like, four to six weeks, right? And then you end up kind of spinning your wheels. So when people really want to do this compromise running for the consistency of their year, the intensity just ends up being a little bit too much just by the the nature of the workouts. And that's something I would cautious on, caution on as well. So, but if you were working into something like say that we had really like that burpee 10K or whatever, or if you're doing a short course race, like a, a DECA fit or a stadium do it the same way that we would kind of just talk laid out in, in terms of training for that mile where you're going to want to have it for be for four to six weeks and just hit it incredibly hard. Me have intensity be your focus and reap those results, reap, reap the benefit of that work. But if you put it in the course of the entire year, like you're probably going to end up spinning your wheels. And what are your thoughts on that? Cause you're not huge on compromise running, right? No, I'm not huge on it. I don't think that it's super imperative for, for most of our, of our sport. I mean, if you just feel like a, a sloppy runner, I think that you should get really sharp with your running mechanics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it can, it can boil down to that. And, and, you know, you're coming from it from an area of, of strength, right? Like you came into the sport already strong enough to do it. 
Right. Where, where I find merit in having something, even just like an OCR stars type workout within the gym, as opposed to just another uh, aerobic workout would be for someone who was coming in. It was pretty fast already and just needs to get knocked around and to continue to do stuff like a buddy of ours who we, we've been chatting with a little bit. He just did a savage race in, in Georgia. He's like a 408 miler, right? You remember 408, like 16 months ago, like mm. pretty recently went out to that race for his first ever obstacle course race. And just like, just got knocked around and finished like 12th, you know, like, and he's probably the most fit person on the, on that course. And that's where I do feel like having some sort of gym based workout or some, some, some sort of compromise running it. If at that point I would probably just have them do work in the gym as opposed to doing compromise running. Yeah. I think that when it comes to people um, having difficulty running after doing something that is quote unquote compromising, it's because their body needed to recruit some, uh, some muscle fibers or simply just didn't have the, the strength to do something. And therefore those muscles can't recover. And so muscles like, yeah. like all of your core musculature, uh, your posterior chain, if you lift something heavy, you need to twist, you, uh, you do something that you're not really competent at, that's going to show when you get back to doing, well, what, what's next in line, because you just haven't recovered. So if you have yeah. a really strong, you have something like a really strong core, and this is where my background absolutely played an awesome role in helping me be, uh, be decent in the sport when I'm not purely a good runner. It's because I would do these things because I have a strong core, I have a strong posterior chain. And then when I go running, I wasn't like the shit I just did was totally normal. You know, so, so yeah. running just felt fine after it. Right. And I, I kind of feel I had the, the benefit of that as well. Like, you know, my background is running, but I had spent, you know, five to six years of doing like CrossFit work and that being like my primary like mode of fitness for a long time. And, you know, it just does teach you how to get, how to get knocked around <laughs> for lack of better word. Like you just learn how to deal with what's like how to transition through things and how to f feel fatigue in different areas and to continue to move and gives you that confidence. So if you're coming from it, from the other, other side of the, the sport from really high end endurance, I still don't think compromise running is, will serve you that well. I think you need to spend a little bit more time in the gym. And I think that's where a, a CrossFit style programming might help, but to a degree where you're not doing like every day, maybe like once or twice a week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say it. So uh, in a situation where like you have an athlete who has say an inability to run a whole lot, maybe do an injury. What, what I like to do is throw them on something. Like I have one athlete that'll have go on the, on the row machine and then do some Ram burpees and get the heart rate up and work a lot of those muscles and then have them run to get used to the fatigue for sure. But the point isn't to make them good at quote unquote compromised running is to make them run at a level of fatigue that they would have felt if they had been running for five minutes already but I don't mm -hmm. have them run for five minutes before because I'm trying to minimize the amount of running they're doing. That's right smart. Now. Yeah, that's smart. And and workouts that I've actually been doing for the OCR stars and some that I've prescribed a little bit are also to kind of get familiar with those type of movements. I mean, this is specific to OCR stars because there are going to be things that you just need to get familiar with and learn how to do. And then being able to layer on the fitness that you would need that's not necessarily running, right? So I think like the rower and the the skier and the assault bike are really going to be awesome conditioning tools for something like OCR stars, even though you're not really going to use it, but it's using, it, you're allowing your body to work in that kind of like threshold and high end aerobic area while just doing something that's not running. And for these gym-based workouts, you're probably going to get into that a zone where it might be some sort of threshold or maybe even... Uh, like a sub threshold type of feeling. So being able to kind of get into that and, and feel and kind of sit there for a while. So I've been having people just do like two rounds of, you know, 10, 10 lunges, 10 pull-ups, and then 
10 box jump overs. And then after the second round going right into like three minutes on the assault bike or three minutes on the rower and the rower and the assault bike is the worst part, but you're also, you're getting a little bit of that feedback for how to do the movements and how to transition into something that is a little bit more aerobically beneficial. Because like, if you're just going to do like a 20 minute AMRAP, you're probably just going to, your muscles are just going to get tired. <laughs> you know, you're just going to like not be able to do pull-ups after anymore. So breaking things up like that, I feel is like a pretty cool way to, to make sure you're getting the actual benefit of for the endurance side that you're going to need for both the run and for the OCR stars competition itself without just like blasting yourself with a CrossFit workout. Yeah. If I, I'll throw a recommendation out there. Uh, something that I, I like to do and throw at my clients is have them do an AMRAP, but I'll say like AMRAP at 90%. And that, yeah, because the thing is, if you go a hundred percent, guess what? You're like, you might get through one or two rounds looking all right, but you probably end up looking like shit as you go on. And then your mechanics suffer. And then you can't even focus on the quality of what you're doing. You're just kind of flopping through the movements. So go through them at a comfortably hard pace. Like it's challenging. You'd like to slow down, but you still have a lot of control. That's going to be really good to because again, you're building habits, you're building good mechanics. And then if you see the clocks ticking down, you have one minute left and you have one more round, then kick it, slay that last round, and you'll know what it's like. It's like it's like a, a, a cut down run, a progression run. Yeah. You kind of moved harder as you went along, and you're going to know what it feels like to finish strong. Great idea. I love that. And like being able to have that, that sustainable pace. Yeah. And I like just since we're kicking around ideas of, of these running out, like I've been doing even just to get familiar, refamiliarize myself with these workouts that, that, and something I could do the longer than 10 or 15 minutes is just working in between like doing two minutes of skier, two minutes of box step overs at like easy, like not, not pedal down and two minutes of assault bike, then two minutes of like burpee pull-ups and then just do that for like 30 minutes and have it just be easy. It's like an easy run, but you still get the ability to recruit those different muscle fiber types and working and, and to throughout the different domains. And it's essentially aerobic work, you know? So nice. yeah. And it's a fun way. And I, I feel like if people don't like running. It's a more fun way to do it. It's not going to give you the same benefits as running. It's not going to be as good, but that's a, that's a great way to get some really nice, well-rounded general conditioning. Yeah. General yeah. conditioning transition phase. Oh, now we're back. Dude, uh, so yeah. what do you think, man? Uh, so, so here we are. We just talked about uh, some workouts to do for uh, OCR stars. Do you want to, do you want to uh, lead this thing out with telling people what to do specifically next few weeks, counting down into the, into the race weekends and how to kind of structure things. Yep. Yeah. Ultimately, you're ultimately right now. What folks are looking at is their peak week, whatever you know. That's just the best their fitness is going to get. So we'll use that word, peak weeks and tapering down for these events, which are four weeks apart. Four weeks apart, which is really, really challenging in terms of how to manage your 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 load, right? How to manage your volume and not to drop that fatigue too low, but also to perform well. So I'm grateful that the mile is first. That. It's not going to need a tremendous, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it, it's going to be hard and, and there's, and you have a window, right? So you can actually take it, you can do it the workout twice in a week. And, you know, we're just going to work out. We're just going to chalk this up right now. We're going to figure this thing out because I, this is something I've been thinking about. It's like, how do you maintain your fitness and still continue to train for the, the, the rest of the event, the rest of the month without having it be an all out taper because you just can't do that. So something like a mile is going to be a little bit easier to recover from. And so I would actually kind of load up 
the workouts in the beginning of the week, I wouldn't necessarily go into a, a full on taper for anything. I would probably hit my last workout for the mile that Tuesday before. Well, you have a calendar in front of you. The like Tuesday workout. Yeah. Like your last, like if you were going to do that workout, like I said before, where it's 800 at mile pace, 30 seconds recovery, 400 mile pace, 30 seconds recovery, two by 200 with 30 seconds in between all of them. Or just like I said, three by 800, whatever you're going to do, like your, your, your goal race. I would do that a week before the, the your attempt. So if you were going to do it on a Tuesday, I would do it that Tuesday before, and then just kind of do some of that work. Even like that, what like the Joel Friel said, just doing like some light threshold work later in that week, have it be a moderate to easy long run, like cutting that almost in half and then hit, hitting that workout on, on Tuesday. And if you wanted, you could probably do it again Friday, like doing back-to-back miles. What do you think about that? Back-to-back miles? Hey. Like Tuesday, uh, Friday. Some some people, you know what? It's not it's not a terrible idea. It's really not. Instead, you're saying instead of doing the track workout on Tuesday, go hit the mile just for shits. Just get it Just get it done. Get it in. See how it goes. Learn from it. And then recoup mentally and physically hit it Friday. 100%. And I, like, I think it's a cool idea. If you're, yeah, if you're, if you can, if you're down for it, I give you a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be two tough, shitty efforts. But like when you think about it in terms of the highest level athletes, like you have prelims to qualify into championship races. Like you don't just show up and you run one race and then you, that's the, the final. And that's a little bit different because there's usually a, the, the prelims usually slower and they're tactical for the to lead into the championship event. But for some people, it's not. Some people have to run their ass off to qualify for the final. And they can come back the next day and still run at a high, high level. So just like you can try some things out, especially if you're not that familiar with a mile, because there is going to be a lot of tactical practice that you're going to need to figure out because it's not as straightforward as just like pump, like pump the gas for five minutes and see what happens. Like, it's not like that. Like you're, it's too long to just gas it. And uh, you can really, you can really fuck a mile up real bad. True. So it's not a bad idea to practice that on Tuesday. So do Tuesday maybe. And if you're happy with it and don't want to do it again, cool. And you can even change because you're going to have the option to do it on a road or the track. So you can kind of play around with that or what kind of footwear you're going to do. I know you're, you're kind of shutting it down. So you're not going to do OCR stars at all. You're not going to hit this mile. I'm not. And actually, so part of me definitely wants to, to do it still. Uh, however, I'm so satisfied with my season and I just looking into the, the future, I feel like I'm going to ultimately have a better start to next season if mm. I get into my transition phase now. And secondly, my pinky is still fractured and my wrist hurts uh, quite a bit. I can't, I can do, I can like do straight arm planks with a fist, but I can't open my palm and I can't really like swing kettlebells. I can't swing dumbbells. Uh, well, I can, but like 20 pounds. So yeah, my, my wrist is definitely a limiting factor there. Oh, you actually broke your finger. I broke my finger falling. Yeah. And I, I, I got an x-ray on my wrist and it's not broken, but like there's, it's still bruised and I, I never bruised. So I'm like, there's some ligament trauma in there. Cause it's, it's a little messed up. I hurt my hand one time and like it, and it wasn't even broken and it hurt forever. It hurt for like eight weeks where I didn't feel like I could do anything. So yeah, shut it down, man. Do some, do some <laughs> yoga. You'd be good to go. Bro. I took, I took this past week almost off entirely. I'm like, Oh yeah. My off season was like five days i felt like five days went by i'm like yo i feel so crappy well i feel great but i also feel lazy like man i haven't run there's like a there's a mental part to it for me or i'm just like why do i why am i sad why am i sad (laughs) i haven't really i haven't run i should go i should go clear that up for for everybody else's benefit yeah so that's a bummer 
but because uh, I think he would do well, and I think it'd be fun to see how see how you pump out the the mile. I mean, that'd be tough. Like it'd be tough. Like say, what do you like? Everything goes great. You run what four fifty two? I think I have a four fifty two in me right now because I did a four fifty six probably eight weeks ago, and I have only been performing better and better. And even if honestly, even if I hopped back in it right now, I think I would still have that in me because at this point, I I would practice what I'm preaching, which is just get into high intensity at this yeah. point, uh, and it would be more high intensity than I saw all season. So I think that I'd see gains glycolytically in VO two max that would uh, that would manifest in a good mile for me. I would love to see that from you, just to see what it would be like, just to even pump in like four to six weeks of fast, fast work that is, uh, you know, kind of counter to the, your typical goals, but just to see what would happen. I think that'd be kind of cool. So trust me, trust me, I'm tempted, but even like I went for a jog yesterday and like just a little jarring of my wrist, but more, but more than anything, but more than anything, I am just so satisfied with the season that I've had, man. And like, I'm so like, I already, I already wrote my schedule out for the next four months, dude. It's sad. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So you don't need to bother with something like that, but yeah. And then, so I think a lot of it, like there's this, this concept of kind of racing into shape, which a lot of like high school coaches just kind of do because you race so often in, in, in high school, there's like a dual meet on Tuesday, dual meet on Friday or, or invitational on Saturday or whatever. And like, so there's really no, no time to really work on what you need to work on. But for this, I mean, this is interesting, right? Because you're still going to need to put in some sort of aerobic or endurance support work. So say like if you did the Tuesday, you did Friday, I would still do a workout on Sunday, whether that would be some sort of threshold workout or something that's gym specific because, and, and then doing like these light workouts in between between the miles, even, even like doing like some of that aerobic work that we had talked about, just get staying familiar with the movements and doing things like, you know, the box step overs or the burpee, burpee pull-ups, uh, something like that, just something that's light. So you're still able to keep up on the skills. And then the second week is going to be tough too, depending on if you're going to want to do the workouts twice. I don't think I would recommend doing those workouts twice just because you will need to continue to run. I don't know. What do you think? Like the, on the gym work, the gym based workout, the second week, how would that look like when you still need to prepare for like an hour long race? That's going to be the following week. Do you think it's appropriate just to taper? So here's what I'm thinking. Uh, you shouldn't do it. I mean, when it comes to like pure running, you're not supposed to do max strength, uh, like two weeks out. So we're not doing max strength, but we are doing strength. So my idea is going to this first week with a mile, I would recommend my, my personal recommendation. What I'm going to end up giving my clients is to focus on upper body intensity. So mm. heart rate's going to go up. There's going to be good blood circulation and the legs will be used, but the emphasis is going to be on the upper body. Okay. And then vice versa the next week. So the mile you recover quickly from, okay. So we're going to end up doing a little bit more full body stuff. And if the arms are super tired, I'll keep in touch with them. If like the upper body is really fatigued, we'll come back off that a little bit. And ultimately going into that next week of the, the strength-based in workout, we're not going to do a shitload going into that. We're not going to mm. do a lot of strength workout going to that. And then when that's over, we'll give it a couple days easy, and then we'll pick up a lot more intensity again, more on the upper body. We'll just do enough on the legs to stay tuned up for the running event that's going to come next. And then vice versa again, we'll do more, uh, we'll do a more full body stuff the day or two after that. And then it's pretty much easy peasy to the last week. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting it's because like you're, you're going to be. It looks like there's going to be some sort of lunges in that workout in between the mile and the, the longer event, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So like, that's why it's, it's also important to kind of make sure that you're, you're doing volume in terms of uh, lunge work or box or like single leg work right now, 
just so you are able to recover from that a little bit more and make it a little bit more familiar. Yeah, I think more than anything, even though there will be a, like a bout or two of intensity, whether it lasts 10 minutes or 20 minutes in the in between these events, it's just going to be like easy aerobic movement, whether it's kind of like what you said, where you're doing different modalities, but aerobically or, or running and a little combination of two just to get the blood flowing and help with recovery. Hmm. Just keeping it super duper easy. So let's see. Okay, it's like, okay, you just did the mile, you recover for a day. The next day, you do an intense session, but it only lasts 20 minutes. It's full body. Next day, recovery, run, do calisthenics, super easy stuff. Yeah. Uh, day after that is, what is that, Monday or Tuesday, do an intense session, full body. Wednesday is pretty easy. Thursday, quick little tune-up, last five minutes of intensity. And then, like, Friday is easy peasy, and then Saturday is the event or whatever. And pretty much that kind of schedule. So Okay. Yeah. And that's if you're going to do it once, because that's something else like that I was just thinking about, like maybe if you do the mile twice, then I would even like the week of the strength, the second week. So the first week is a mile. The second week is that gripper chipper. Okay. How how long is that? The gripper chipper? Yeah. How long is it? Is it an AMRAP or what's the format? Do we know how long it's going to take? He hasn't released the format, but it's going to be a combination of toast to bar, lunges, farmer's, farmer's carry, farmer's walk and uh burpee pull-ups and i'm guessing it's going to be somewhere in the 20 minute range and i think that that what it's going to look like is every time you need to put the dumbbells down you need to do burpees or every time you come off the bar with toes to bar you're going to do burpees it's going to be like failing an obstacle and that's going to be kind of how he separates things but so it it, it seems like it's going to be not overly intense because toes to bar will shut you down and burpee pull-ups are just slow and farmer's walks again are like slow so i don't know if you'll never get to the intensity that you're going to need to that you would be at even close to a mile Mm -hmm. you know it's probably going to kind of be moderate intensity but just like kind of higher volume i'm guessing 20 minutes it's going to be a burner yeah this is going to be a burner yeah folks do that specific stuff do a lot of put a lot of volume on those forearms (laughs) and get your chalk ready yeah, and that might – I'm going to wear, like, wristbands just so I'm not dude. sweating so bad. The uh, I'm going to look fucking – That's bad. actually – dude, that's a really good move. Wristbands are the best. I always wear them for kettlebells because I sweat like a monster. Dude, yeah. me too. I just bought – I bought a pair this past this past year just because I was like, I can't – I was trying to do those D-ball, like, pick up and cleans over the wall that they're going to be in, in DecaFit, and it was just getting so slippery. I couldn't even, like, get it with my arms. I was like, oh, my God. I might need to wear, like, full long sleeves. But yeah, so maybe for something like that, into that second week, wait to do the gripper chipper later in the week and just give it one crack. And if it is going to be that grip intensive, it might be hard to kind of bounce back from anyway. If it does really wreck your 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 core with the toes to bar and like your grip, like if it puts you back for a couple of days, if it's going to be longer and, and kind of higher volume, one shot might be appropriate for something like that. So maybe do that on that Friday or Saturday. And you would have time on, say, Tuesday to hit one more kind of running specific workout that would be in that threshold range instead of maybe doing that Sunday workout, like I had mentioned, maybe Thursday, because then you could game that out to even give you 10 days of recovery. So if you do a workout on Tuesday, the week of the chipper, then maybe on, you know, you do the uh, longer run event on that Friday, which would give you, yeah. 10, 10, 10 or so days, 10 or 11 days to kind of recover and kind of really absorb that training that you had from that one last effort. Dude, And honestly, that's really perfect. Cause like based on the research that I've gathered, I mean, when it comes to a 5k or a 10k, the week of 
I mean, a 30 to 50% decrease in volume is, is like ideal. And it's only, it's only for one week, you know, for the short events, you don't need that much of a taper for the strength stuff, depending on where you're at, you know, it might take a little bit more, but yeah, I think people are going to be in pretty good shape for the running as long as they don't do too much. And, and as long as they keep doing something, yeah, like they might like, yeah, like that, that's one thing I, I worry about is like people are just going to be like so competition focused that by the time they get to the third week, they have spent two weeks competing in this thing that then they don't have, they've lost fitness, you know, when in terms of a 10K or 15K. But like so you said, but, yeah, right. But like you said, keep in, keep in a semblance of a, of a longer aerobic run. And that should keep you, that should help you hold on pretty well. Yeah. Doing even what you mentioned, just doing like the, what was it? 90 seconds at thresholds, like six by 90 seconds. Like that would help maintain something. It's better than nothing. And it might, and it wouldn't wreck you. So I, I kind of like that idea. And then after that Friday, if you just do a Friday, like 15 K or whatever that ends up being, then I'd probably just taper it down, <laughs> not even taper it, like wait to taper until after that last, that third week. And then just give it what you got for the burpee mountain workout. Yeehaw, yeehaw. That, that one, I think you could do twice because it's just going to be burpees and box step up, step over. So like you could do it on like Tuesday and then mentally recover. I don't think it's going to be physically, I don't think it's going to rip you down physically. I think it's going to be more mentally of a grind. And those workouts that end up being a mental grind, you can really improve on quite a bit from these like CrossFit style workouts, just cause you know, when it's going to suck, you can kind of game it a little bit more. The first time you do it, you might not have it down as far as technique and you kind of switch things up. So I would definitely do the mile. I'm not definitely do mile twice. I would consider do the mile, mile twice. And I would definitely do the burpee mountain workout twice. Dude, no, it's also really cool. If you think about it, I think that folks who do end up doing lots of high intensity stuff over the next few weeks of preparation, as well as the competition in itself. I think that they might find themselves to be more mentally hardened in regards to a personal effort than they might've like ever been potentially yeah. where, depending on where they're coming from. I mean, there's different elements, you know, like race Tahoe, there's the cold and blah, 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 blah. But as far as being in the gym and just feeling the, the muscle burn and sweating and just your chest hurt from breathing so heavy in the musty air, it's like, y'all people are going to get tough. And it's just something different, right? You can do aerobic work and you can get real familiar with even threshold work or any, or even, you know, VO2 max work, those three minute workouts that suck and are really, really hard. But like, there's something about doing burpee box jump overs where you can keep going, but like, you could also not keep going. (laughs) Like you're on the ground all the time. You could just like, take a little bit longer to get up you're not like settled in so i agree there's a way to really callous the mind on this one and just know that that you are able to push a little bit more because like you know we train so much for running that you can kind of figure out where those lines are but with this it's so it's so open that it's up to you Mm -hmm. yeah very cool man cool so like that kind of wraps it up. We kind of did that a deep dive there at the end on the OCR stars, which was really cool, but that's what we kind of got coming up. So yeah, that'll wrap up some of the, the peak talk. I think we covered some good stuff here. So I'm excited for people to get this and kind of put it into place. Dude, talk to me about this. So did Aaron win the, that bro, ticket? Aaron? Yeah. Aaron Newell got it, man. So wow. cool, dude. So stoked Super for him, man. And, uh, and another, I, does she, so Johnny Luna Lima's girlfriend, Bailey, is that, I think that's her name? I believe so. I don't know. I don't know much about her. Okay. Okay. You're supposed to know about everyone's personal life. Come on. So I don't know if she's a pure runner. If she does obstacle course racing, but she got the golden ticket out in Colorado on the, uh, the Boulder, I think it's called the Boulder Skyline Trail. So it's like, oh man, that's, that's awesome, dude. OCR community, or at least closely related is, is getting after on the trail. 
So yeah, didn't, Aaron, Atkins, didn't Atkins reel one in too? Uh, not to my knowledge. Well, I when thought see, so. When did you see that? Where at? There was one in Quebec that. Oh I thought, shit! Yeah, that I thought he had made it, made a post saying, like almost the exact same thing that Aaron said. Aaron's like, I got this thing. This is cool. I'm not sure if I'm gonna go because you know COVID. But uh, I thought I thought Atkins said the exact same thing. Oh, dude, that's that's very cool, man. I'll have to I'll have to check that out because I thought I thought Atkins was actually gonna try and come down and get the Prezi because he had the FKT on the Prezi Traverse. He it's a very competitive route. There's it's been chopped down over the years. There's been you know dozens of people that have chopped it down and and yeah, Aaron apparently got it on like September 28th, the event actually ended officially on October 1st. And Aaron was smart. He was like, hey, he sent me a text. I said, good job, man. He was like, sneaky, sneaky. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because he he got the segment, did, but didn't post it on Strava. So people didn't know what time they actually had to beat. So I thought I just had to beat 409, which some guy had just gotten. So pretty last minute, I was like, oh, my training looks pretty good leaning into this. This kind of fits kind of perfectly. So me, Steve, and, and Frankie, we all went out there. And uh, yeah, we just had to go after it. Like conditions are pretty good. You know, it's like 40 mile an hour headwinds and lots of leaves on the ground. But like, other than that, it was pretty, it was pretty it was perfect. That, it was dude. that windy? Dude, it's windy up there, man. Mount Washington has like the highest recorded winds on earth, I think. And that's a real danger. That like, that because of that, that it's a super dangerous mountain. That mountain kills people all the time. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah, Frankie, like we were like talking about going, he throws a book on the ground and it says not without peril. And I think it's about like all the people that have died in Mount Washington. Yeah, that's serious. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause the weather conditions change so fast. Right. And then, oh yeah, dude. It was so cool. Cold. Like we, we, we came out of the forest and like came out of the forest uh, and then we we're on the rocks and then I fell and I was like, okay, my day's done. I want to go back to the car. But I was like, nah, I'm just gonna keep going. It's gonna be badass. I'm gonna finish with broken hands. And, uh, and then kept running. And the next thing you know, like you're in the fog at the top of Mount Washington. You're like, whoa, whoa I can't see 20 feet in front of me. But thankfully, it was like, there's pretty good marking out there. And then like you find your way down out of the clouds as you descend. And yeah, dude, super cool route. So I'm stoked for him. I don't know where the event's going to be held, but it's like all the best, it's put on by Solomon. Like all the best athletes in the world are going to be there. So it's like, yo, dude, you fucking made it. It's amazing. Yeah. What was, so what did your time end up being? Uh, so my time was, I was 4.17.34, which I'm super stoked about considering I made two wrong turns and fell. I'm like, if I didn't make any mistakes or have any navigational errors or anything, I was like, that was probably like a 412, 413. And I am elated about that. Huh. Awesome. So like, so that was been short. You said the guy ran 409? Whatever. 409. Yeah. Yeah. I still would have been short, but like, dude, that's still, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy, dude. You, I mean, looking at some of these runners and you look at their, their resume and it's like, oh yeah, you're a, a 412 marathoner. It's like, oh, that's cool. But it's like, yo, we can hang in the mountains kind of. Uh, it's like, Atkins, yeah, kinda, yeah. And like Atkins did 409. I think that was his second attempt. I mean, there's so many, there's so many athletes that put down awesome times that I was able to uh, go under. I was able to go a little faster than them. And uh, yeah, that was just a really awesome confidence booster. And again, it just kind of like perfected my exit of the competitive season. Like yeah. I ended with confidence, ended on a high note. And I'm like, awesome. I know what I need to work on. Yeah, and, you, uh, you accomplished quite a bit, even for a season without without a season. And okay, here, Atkins says he got the golden ticket for a seg- for the segment for the Canada golden ticket, Mount Treblanc. Mount Treblanc. Yeah, so. Dude, good for him, man. Yeah. Really good for him. So that's cool. Like, yeah, like the OCR people coming out, doing things. I like it. I like it a lot. Real, real athletes. They're real. But he did say when it was real, really real. And that's, that's what I appreciate. Yeah, so that's 
those real athletes, I guess those ones are the ones at the Spartan super secret event that, you know, really don't know anything about. We know that Atkins is there, we know that Aaron's there, and I guess Lindsay and, and Nicole too, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. apparently there's going to be CrossFit athletes there. Which I wonder, is I'm looking great. forward to this, man. Is they're going to videotape the crap out of it? Because the whole idea is they're trying to they're trying to monetize it in some way. I mean, they're going to be giving out so much prize money, and they want to give the sparring community something to chew on for the next few months to keep them stoked. So, but why would you invite people from outside the freaking community, especially CrossFitters who have had an opportunity to qualify themselves to the games, and like their events are happening. Like they have their, that ability and the, the OCR community had nothing like that. So like, why would they just be like, oh, well, we're, we're going to bring these people on just to show them how hard these OCR athletes are. It's like, there's already OCR athletes here who are willing to kind of put themselves out there. So like, wh- wh- why would you bring people? And like, why does it have to be a spectacle? Like he came on that, that podcast when he announced this and was like, yeah, we're going to give back to the pro team. And they're inviting people who aren't on the pro team and not even like that they need to be on the pro team, but they're not even in the sport. Like that's what's insane. So I love to give people benefit of the doubt. So it's like, I, the way I see it is he's giving back to the pro team. It sounds great, but I mean, it's like, all right, so he's bringing pro team members there and he's going to give it a lot of money. And you know, the pro team, or at least the ones that he invited, because the pro team isn't necessarily 100% competitive, <laughs> but he's pretty broad, a bunch of people there. He, they're going to do well, most likely against CrossFit athletes, because they're going to be events that are biased towards the OCR athletes. It's going to be good for showing the the validity of the sport when the pro team smashes the crossfitters most likely depending on the events of course it all depends on the events 100 percent. but i mean and i think that he would invite those crossfit athletes because joe cares about this as a business or i don't even know joe's involvement anymore honestly on like the marketing side he's just like a, a crazy dude that had a bunch of an idea to start this shit uh but ultimately if you have some like really well-known popular athletes out of the crossfit games which is like the most spectated fitness thing in the world i mean he's maybe he's hoping to bring more eyes to our sport by posting something online that says sam briggs and blah 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 we're here and then people watch him like oh cool i know these people and it's like oh who's this atkins guy who's this who's this other blah 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 they're pretty fit too well this sport's cool and that's good for the sport so that's the thing right like their their mission statement at spartan is not to find the most fit obstacle course race athletes like crossfit statement like well the crossfit games is separate from crossfit the actual style of fitness right like and actually crossfit as a business as it came up and spartan race have very similar goals which is to get more people active and to get more people healthy right and so in order to do that you need to reach outside of your 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 comforts on your particular niche right like the people who don't know about you you need to touch them you need to reach out to them you need you need to invite them in and that's a way that that by getting these ninja warrior athletes or these games athletes is a way to kind of capitalize on that type of following and get more people involved into spartan race which ultimately the leaders of spartan race think this is the best thing that a human being can do for their fitness mental and physical like is it well maybe it's out there it's It's out there there. yeah Yeah, great and in their minds it is it's like the more people that do this it's better for humanity if we get more people involved in this sport and that's really a a morally like it's it's a great it's a great like way to go about it right and that's how crossfit was too they want to get through he was like he wants to eliminate like diabetes or something he wants to like lower these rates of 
the these diseases that are killing people. Like heart, he wants to drop heart heart disease rates or something like that. And like ultimately, that's better for mankind and for people. But like, it's just unfortunate that the sport that we're involved in does not prioritize the athletes that are involved in it. Like they're, they're always looking beyond the athletes who are already here. So like, it's frustrating when it's, there's going to be a point where the sport is going to stall because the, the, the main company who is leading the way in terms of the sport won't prioritize the athletes behind it. And it's just kind of a bummer and it's not going to change from the Spartan sense. Like it's just like, that's just. You know what, dude? Athletic coalitions lead the way, man. Us, uh, us athletes got to unite. You know? That's what I'm saying, bro. That's what I'm saying. I feel you. We could, we could collaborate, maybe. So, I mean, that's the thing. But, like, yeah, so I, I just I, – like, and it just happens over and over, and I'm frustrated. I mean, I wouldn't have – I don't think I would have accepted because I would have gotten mashed at something like that. It's all mountains and stuff. You would have done really well. I think you – would do awesome in something like that dude if i was if i got invited to that and they told me like six weeks eight weeks out i mean the further out the better but i mean like i totally would have accepted the invite absolutely you've been great like it's there's like strength event there's strength events a lot of like long distance mountain stuff um dude, it's northeast coast that like that terrain oh yeah dude yeah when you've like when you have that a lot of the fkts in the area you beat like like aaron went after your devil's path twice and he's going and he got the, the Prezi Traverse. Like he's one of the best athletes around. And like you're up there with him on that. So like you could hang with these guys in like these OCR events. And the strength stuff, you're stronger than them. Like swimming, I don't know. Can you swim? I don't think anybody can swim. I don't think I don't think anybody can swim though. And biking too. I think the bike, like no one's gonna roll with Atkins, but like like I think you would just be able to, to, to hold your own. So that's what I mean. There's athletes here who would be able to do well, but like there's no investment in the athletes at, in, in terms of like trying to raise the tide. I hear you. But you know what? Hey, man, still young sport. Still young, right? Still young. But yeah, I'm just, it's frustrating from that respect. <laughs> cool. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm up here in Vermont just having a, having a real nice time. So yeah, that's what I'm going to be doing. Preparing for OCR Stars. I'm running a 10-mile race, virtual race, with our buddy Mark Gaudet next weekend down in D.C. It's going to be flat. I got the pair of those Alpha Fly Next Percents. Dude, that I, I was saw. About. I saw. Bro, they're <laughs> insane. Legal cheating. It's crazy. It's just like, <laughs> it's awesome. Like, if you don't have them, you're an idiot. Like, if, you want, if you're going to be like, oh, these are cheating, like, you need to get a pair. They're, dude, they're, yeah, they're allowed, man. Yo, it's all a game, dude. Like, those shoes are on the market, so... That's it, pretty, it, that's pretty dope. it was crazy. Like I was thinking that I, I did like some, like an interval workout and then some threshold stuff. And I was running like 10 seconds faster than I even, had even planned. And it felt so comfortable that I was like, I might not be getting any of the benefit of this. I might not be going hard enough. <laughs> the shoes got me there. Dude, so, what a confidence booster though. I, uh, you know, right. Yeah, totally. So if nothing else, just buy it for the confidence, but that's what I got going on and just doing some OCR stuff, OCR stars stuff. And uh, yeah, that's what we're looking like. Yo. Okay. So I got you at your, your, your PR for the 10 mile is what? 52, 52, 45, 45. So do we have like a, a 51 50 in you or what are we thinking? That, I was thinking that I had a setback maybe like three weeks ago that in the past couple of weeks just like have been much better. I think I'm going to try to be in like the, be around, let's go out in like five fifteens and try to work my way down. And if I get under five tens and like a little lower, um, maybe a fifty one fifty because that's that's five tens. I think 
right? So I would love to go in the 52, but I think like 52 low is right within the wheelhouse, but we'll see how the, what the day brings. PR is a PR. Yeah, that'd be sick. Now I'll be and like then gearing up for a mile, man. That'd be gonna be Dude, you sharpened it down, man. Excited for that one. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I'm gonna try to get like a pacer or somebody to to get out there. I'm Who thinking the hell's gonna stick with you. A runner runner. I know I, like <laughs> there's this guy I know who just ran four eighteen. And I'm thinking about just telling them, be like, because Hunter's gonna pay out uh a thousand dollars for the winner of each event, too. So like be like, hey man, like Come out here, pace me through. Like, if you win, if you run like four sixteen and win, and I run like four twenty and like do real well in terms of like the OCR athletes, it's a win for me, you know. Because I'm I'm guessing there's going to be some sort of ringer that comes in and does run like four ten or Dude, something. I would imagine for a thousand bucks. Yeah, it's like oh, I gotta I gotta spend what thirty bucks to sign up for this. Definitely, yeah. Even if that's the only event you do. You know, so I just need to get pulled pulled across. I just want to kind of be in like the top ten, the top twenty, in all of them. I think I got a good shot. I feel like that'd be super impressive, man. I mean, I don't know what his reach has really been, how many people are involved right now, but I mean, if he has, I mean, I don't see why there might not be like any less than eight hundred people in this event. He's talking dumb numbers. He's talking Dude. like he was saying that if it gets to seven thousand, there's going to be a bump in in uh, pay, and he was like, I want ten. So he's thinking there's thousands of people that's going to be in this. 10,000. That's what, that's like his goal. Like, I mean. Wait, so math, 10,000 times 30, add a zero with a three. So 300,000. Yeah. So he said that they're going to bump up and, and he said he guarantee, he's guaranteeing 5,000 and then going down five, four, three, two, and one, I think for the top five or something like that. For the for the total at the end. For top five, yeah. Gotcha. So Sick, sick, man. I do. I really look forward to seeing and I really hope they do it CrossFit style as far as how they've been showing the games this year where people have to videotape themselves doing everything. Mm -hmm. Like I want to I want to see the winners or I want to see like the top two people with their screens paralleled on YouTube. That'd be sick. I would would watch the shit out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be fun. Well, cool, dude. Let's let's wrap this up. I think we did a nice I think we did a nice job today. You and I. Cool, bud. So where can people find you? Nowhere. I'm hiding. I'm kidding. I have been off Instagram for like three days, which has been nice, but I'll, I'll re-download it. I realize I just got to like get it off my screen or else I'm going to touch it. Yeah. So, so it was a nice detox. Anyways, I'll be on there eventually. So hit me up with questions, comments, concerns. I think that's what they say, the three Cs. Uh, J-A underscore S-H-U-A underscore R-I-E-D. Very cool, homie. And I am Rich underscore running. No, wait. Reinforce underscore running underscore Rich. His name's Rich. That's me. Sup, Rich. All right, squad. We will see you guys later. Peace.